Welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday afternoon. And I'm excited to welcome back on the program Tuesday reporter Andrew Dambina. Anders, it's great to speak to you today. How are you doing on this sunny afternoon? It's a lovely sunny view from my uh, from my room, and it, it probably probably is from your studio, albeit uh, until the old one is renovated. I know, but uh, I know. glorious day out there. It's beautiful. Um, for, for some of our listeners who are tuning in, who may not know that we, we've moved studios. I mean, I was in the Admiralty studio, but now I'm back in uh, the Broadcast Drive studio, and we are in a in a new studio while the old one is getting renovated. And this new Indeed. one is amazing. It's got lovely windows, and it's. I just want to stay here forever. Long may that renovation take. Um, <laughs> I'll see what I can <laughs> that's do. Like, that's all I can say. Yeah, a spanner in the works, quite literally. <laughs> that. Um, well, yeah. So continuing with um, uh, our Tuesday look at um, things local and further afield uh, in Hong Kong, and very briefly again, last Tuesday when we spoke. I just mentioned that there would be um, an announcement in the afternoon. I'm sure everyone's heard about this by now. But after our Tuesday chat, the Secretary of Food and Health, Sophia Chan, spelled out the latest food and beverage out- outlet regulations. And they came into effect last Thursday. But as Hong Kong media has reported, it's a little complex, shall we say. So while uh, most simple... Uh, good news is that bars are now open. That's the most simple thing to an extent. They're, they're open as much as they can be after being shut down since uh, November last year. So that is good news if they had managed to fulfill Survive, some of the requirements. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, but because a lot have closed down, uh, hundreds have closed down. Yeah. So, so it's great if some are able to meet these new set of requirements. But there are a few different tiers of rules regarding hours of operation and the number of patrons per table, depending on COVID and inoculations that both staff and visiting diners or drinkers have had. So restaurants and bar management and staff and potential customers need to work all of this out to see whether they can comply with what is now required for the, with the eligibility. And each set of circumstances, depending on how many staff have had their first vaccination or not, or or the same for customers will affect which times and how many you can have at a table. All of this has been set out. And although this has now come into effect and announced properly as of Thursday last week, um, it is taking a long time for people to get their heads around what's required. And that's from the industry perspective as well as the consumer. So there, there was a... Uh, on the weekend, on Saturday, the South China Morning Post reported that many Hong Kong restaurants are not expecting much of a windfall from the first week of looser mm-hmm. social distancing measures under the so-called vaccine bubble scheme, as it's being known, um, with with some um, in the industry complaining of stringent and often complicated rules that are keeping their hands tied to act too quickly. Uh, As of last Friday night, so that was the uh, evening before this report went out on Saturday by SCMP, just 12.2% of the city's population had got their first anti-COVID shot and only 6.6% of the population has had their second dose of of one of the COVID 
vaccines available. So the bubble for restaurants and bar patrons is very small, given those circumstances for people to be able to attend and enjoy and get the business going just yet. Um, in, in, the, in the story then um, that, I'm, that I'm mentioning that I read, because it was quite insightful, a lot of people were interviewed. Simon Wong, the president of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades, says that most eateries had decided just to stick with the status quo ending dining services at 10 p.m. as it had been, capping to groups of four as it had been, rather than taking mm -hmm. advantage of new rules. And I know this has been reported to an extent on RTHK and other media as well, but I'm just there was just a lot of information on this article that did come out on Saturday and has since been updated, so it's quite interesting. Um, at the time of the, uh, of the interview, uh, Wong then, the head of that association, uh, said that... Um, those in the industry that he that he heads and the association had not really seen that it's going to have a knock-on effect too quickly. So rather rather complicated is uh, tends to be the uh, the feeling by many, and 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 not too many people can really benefit from it. I know you've had two vaccinations, Noreen. You've been out out and about in the bars. N not really, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I guess having the I guess because so many people aren't vaccinated, I don't feel as I mean I feel good that I've been vaccinated, but there's still some yeah. concerns, and I just wish you know that there would be yeah. a possibility for for herd immunity. I don't know. It's strange. Yeah. You get the vaccination, but you still feel like you have to socially distance yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I'm um, going off topic for food stuff, but I've had my first vaccination. I was supposed to have my second one uh, mid next week, but I now have a, uh, a little operation that I've got to have, and that's going to stop me doing it. So yeah. I've got to find out uh, a way to uh, postpone it. I'm sure I can do that online. Need to look into it. Yeah, you but, can postpone um, it. But... I think as long as you have it done within, I think, 28 days or under 40 days, I think that's still of, good. Of, oh, right, really? Okay, yeah, that's good that's to know. Fine, Thanks. Yeah. Public, public service information here Something on, like on Radio 3. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but um, but, uh, but I, uh, I think that... Um, yeah, it is good that people have had their first one, which is uh, just nudged over, you know, 12 or the low teens percent by now can uh, can have some uh, more freedom in uh, terms of amounts per table. That's good. Um, next, then, a look at the uh, an aspect of the American restaurant industry and um, what their workers' situation is right now, because a lot of restaurants are just opening up in America in May. So um, amid reports of restaurant industry uh, labor shortage, the uh, employees are saying that they really want higher wages to make the risk they're going to have to take worth it. This is according to Eater magazine in an article published yesterday. So stateside restaurateurs have been sounding a bit of an alarm um, as the restaurants are opening up, especially from this month, about an industry-wide labour shortage. Actually, they've been mentioning it predating a lot of relaxation that's happening right now for a few months, fearing that what is now happening was going to happen. It's, uh, the Eater magazine says that managers of small independent restaurants and big national chains alike have told the press that they're having trouble getting long-term staff to return to their jobs or finding new employees to replace them. And some managers and owners are blaming their inability to, to get staff on unemployment benefits that the, uh, that the government has brought in in, the, in America, which are designed to help the economic devastation that a lot of people have felt from the pandemic. But it, uh, some claims are made that no one wants to go back to work because they'd rather stay at home and get unemployment payouts 
which have become uh, commonplace mentioned. But Eater magazine says that it doesn't believe that this is a completely accurate picture of what's going on. And it spoke to one bar and grill owner in L.A. who says that unemployment has made it harder to rehire staff, but it's more complicated than just that. Because when staff come in, they will be only allowed, like here, to serve fewer patrons, and that means less tips. And America is known for, for a very low of the, pay. Yeah, low pay, yes. but people get their money from the tips. Yeah, exactly. How so, percentage, so, what percentage? Yeah. Of tip, over 15%, right? Uh, yes, like it that. is over. It, 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 it is well over. There was an interesting um, sort of example given by this bar and grill owner in L.A. He says that uh, a typical flat fee for servers, that's waiters or bartenders, is about 15 U.S. an hour, already way ahead of what people get here at about 120 uh, Hong Kong dollars. Um, and uh, that's before tips. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, after tips, an hourly wage can come out at 50 U.S. or 60 after wow. tips in places that are busy. So that number is going to be closer, he says, to 25 or 30 per hour after the numbers are taken into consideration, i.e., you know, serving less customers, right? Yeah. So the uh, uh, and the dangers he goes on to say, so that's one big thing. People are thinking they're weighing that up against whether they get, you know, new new um, unemployment benefits has been ro uh, rolled out that might be approaching similar figures. To be honest, we hear that possibly and think knowing what minimum wages are like here and restaurant wages are, are some of the lowest and bar wages that, uh, that that actually sounds, you know, if that was happening here, there'd be a lot of happy people. But, um, but, 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 but over there, they're used to um, hiring that type of job so that's their situation yeah. the uh, the dangers though that bar and grill owner says are even more difficult for the back of house staff that means cooks and dishwashers who often have to work in in small in small kitchens like around 400 square feet and he says there's no mask in the world that's ever going to protect you from being next to someone for eight hours a day in that hot small environment that's really interesting because not something that we really think of you know you might have a mask on but when you know when the when those uh, when those walks are burning or grills are going or whatever and people are you know you imagine the masks might get nudged down a bit and not always be um, with the best intention in the world uh, in their most protective uh, position that uh, that germs could be passed on couldn't they um, so there's a lot of trepidation among those who are working in what's known in the industry as back of house, you know, in the kitchen um, for being too close to one another. They, they're fearing going back to work, a lot of people, not just mm. thinking about the wages. And um, so this LA owner says that he's uh, offered 10 to 20% of raises for his back of house staff, but he's had feedback that some people are still not willing to come back, some of his original staff, with a 20, 10 to 20% rise. So... Um, the article went on to talk to other people in the industry across other cities in America. And uh, it spoke to some cooks in New York and other parts of the country. But in New York, there were some comments saying that uh, back of house people, the, uh, the chefs and cooks and uh, preparation staff, are hoping that the owners are going to raise prices in order to be able to pay them more to go back to work for the danger money, if you like, for the for those working in the kitchen, um, and also for those who fear that they will be at front of the house, that's those who get tips, will be losing more money. So 
It's um, it's all going back into operation right now across some states, most states, and um, the thoughts are really with uh, the economics of it all. Can owners raise prices? That has to be, um, you know, borne by the customer. Will they get fewer diners who who have their uh, you know appetites deterred by dining out in higher prices? I don't know. Mm, I don't know. What would you? Yeah, what do What do you think? <laughs> um, I think that it, I think the answer is that if people um, have been getting furloughed, as it's called in the UK, I don't know if they call it that in America as well, mm. which means getting eighty percent of their salary for sometimes not doing much at home, then they may consider channeling some of that back into um, into the difficult industries that have had the, the hardest knocks, which there are many other industries too, but the restaurant and bar industries are are part of those, aren't they? Mm. I think people here that have been lucky enough to get paid throughout this whole um, pandemic as well probably feel now and then that it's nice to sort of pass a bit of that on. Absolutely. So it's uh, um, as things start opening here too. I don't know. Leave that one dangling in the air, shall we, Noreen? But it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, moving on to something else now. That's a uh, move off the woes of the world's restaurant and bar industry for a moment and discuss a certain premium Japanese fruit. Um, let's play a guessing game for a few seconds, Noreen. I know you love them on our Tuesday talks. Um, what, sure. what type of Japanese, <laughs> yeah, what type of Japanese fruit do you occasionally see at top end supermarkets or Maybe you see pictures of it posted on social media. That's a great first guess, and you do see them, and they are expensive. But I'm um, thinking of another one. Oh, great! Those grapes, those massive, gigantic grapes that I've seen. Um, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. They're, yeah, they're enormous grapes, they the size cost, of apples. Yeah, they're really expensive. They're about 500 Hong Kong dollars for a tray. For a bunch. Yeah, for a bunch. <laughs> yeah. I've seen in City Super, for example. Not that I shop at City Super, yeah. but occasionally right. you want to. Walk, walk, walks past. Well, sniffed. well, I, I go yeah. in for the free cheese. Sometimes, I, yeah, I've, I've said too much okay. anyway. I've said too much. Wow, you have said too much. <laughs> good cheese? Quite good, <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. Right, right, on occasion. Um, well, uh, it's neither of those two. I'm talking about Japanese melons from Japan. Okay? Oh, yeah, uh, melons. They, who, yeah, uh, des melons yes. au, au Japon. It's um, so um, to. I don't know. If, please correct my French. Uh, any any listener that may be from that from that place. I was just I was just humouring Noreen, who put out a French accent there. I'm blaming her. But it's, um, I, I, I am talking about melons from Japan. We do sometimes see them in prime spots on display in top tier uh, produce retail outlets around town, including the one that you like cheese in. And um, what makes them so expensive then, or special? They can easily command upwards of 200 US dollars, easily, for the very best single fruit. And in fact, here's a big figure. In 2019, two melons were sold at a melon auction in Hokkaido for 2 million yen. That's just over 45,000 US dollars. Yeah. Let's just digest that. Let's just digest that sweet fruit of a figure. 45,000 US dollars or about um, 350, just a touch, a few dollars under 350,000 Hong Kong dollars for two, two melons. That's crazy, crazy money. Yeah, it is. Let's look into why then. It's random, but, um, but I, I'm talking about this because I came across 
a report on this from Business Insider magazine recently. I thought it would make a refreshing change for us to talk about this topic, among the many, many other things that we discussed that are food and drink related. And I know that most listeners, like yourself, have probably walked past or heard or seen on social media a melon. Sometimes they're watermelons, but we're not talking about those. Those are small change, just a few hundred Hong Kong dollars for a watermelon compared to these things. These are either green or yellow flesh, and there are different varieties that are grown across Japan. The most famous one is called the Higo, H-I-G-O, green melon. It's one of the best known, but there are several varieties. And they're admired not just for their taste, but also for their appearance. And crown melons are the widest uh, prized and widest known variety that are sold in Japan and outside of Japan. And they're only grown in one prefecture called uh, Shizuoka Prefecture in the center of Japan. And these ones never go for less, almost never, the top grade ones, than 200 US but they go up to the thousands, as I mentioned. Uh, I don't, even, unlike, I don't even have anything to say. That's so. I'm still. I know it's really. <laughs> I mean, I did not know. I've seen. I've seen the expensive watermelons here that occasionally do go in those top supermarkets, and those really are something like I've seen ones up to about eight hundred dollars. I thought that's bad, but we're talking starting price of two hundred US. So um, that's sixteen hundred. It's one thousand uh, six hundred Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for for these for these crown melons, starting price. And I, I, I mean, I haven't even seen them over here. So over here, they're going to be more than that. That's in Japan, and uh, it's all about the look of them as well as the taste and consistency. Both look and taste has to be maintained. Whether it's summer, winter, autumn, or spring, these things are grown in greenhouses to maintain a certain temperature, a certain humidity. Uh, heat or air conditioner is used at different times of the year when it's needed so they can be grown in every single season. But interestingly, they are grown uh, in every single season but uh, and they're kept in a constant greenhouse environment. But different seeds are used in winter, autumn or spring or summer. Um, that just, there's just a slight genetic difference. They've been, they've been, you know, they've made sure they've got the right seeds that will combat any slight fluctuation in the temperature outside the greenhouse. Funny you mentioned seeds. I, I, I just yeah. googled crown melon seeds are about four, four ninety-five euros. So about 50 bucks, $50 Hong Kong and you can get some crown melon seeds. But then really? It might be worth but I don't, know, I don't know if we've got the climate for it. A greenhouse. We might no, have greenhouse no. gas, but probably not. Greenhouse yeah. Well, <laughs> Very good. Sure. Can you hear that? I don't know if that helps them grow. Well, maybe worth a guess, just as a little sideline. Um, but, um, uh, or, or as a special treat, because no one can really afford to buy them. But, but farmers do give these melons constant attention at, by hand, and they really look for any single minor external defect. Only one melon is harvested off every tree. And inside the greenhouses, there is a platform made so that they don't touch the ground. They are, they, with a melon, when it grows, only one harvester from each tree, Nori. They wait for the flowers to grow little melons, and they start snipping off the ones, only saving one, so that one melon gets all the full nutrients from that tree or plant. And they take 100 days to grow, and they are covered in paper to stop them getting too much light, so they do, the colour stays sort of constant across the whole melon. And they are prized also for their, their netting pattern, or their web, that goes across the whole melon. 
Wow. So, um, yeah, they are they are something to be to be revered and something to be uh, charged a lot of money for. Would they're, you, they're given the, would you pay? On, would you pay? I mean, I mean, how much is it in Hong Kong if if you had to buy something? I mean, I'm sure there are cheaper versions of it. Yeah, well, for this, for there, there are different grades. There are yeah. four different grades, but for the number one grade, you would have to pay a few thousand Hong Kong dollars, no less. Wow. Because there, are, so there are four grades. For the fourth grade, which is the lowest, you could pay probably still several hundred dollars, approaching. Uh, you'd be lucky to pay less than a thousand. Wow. So, yeah, out of the four grades. By the way, if you're interested, Fuji is the top grade. If you're looking to spend to splash a bit of cash. On a melon. It, it's the kind of fruit that, you know, you'd bring to show your status. Like, you know, when you visit somebody's house and someone brings you, like, really expensive fruit and you think... Yeah. Uh, and you, and you think, a, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, buy this grape it, it, with this bunch of grapes yeah. for you so that you know how much I spent. <laughs> exactly. It's going to blow out of water, like, if you bring someone a nice $100 punnet of Korean strawberries. The person who brings a crown melon, they're just acing you straight away. Sure. I must I must ask <laughs> yeah. Angie later about it. You know, she's a, a Japan expert. I'll see if she's tried those melons before. Yeah, I bet she's been to some of the farms. <laughs> <laughs> Run out of tourist things to do. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, Andrew, we'll yeah. have to leave it at that uh, today. And I sure. look forward to uh, more chats with you uh, this Thursday for Artsing Around. Meanwhile, take care, look after Indeed. yourself and enjoy the sunny sunshine outside. Uh, sunny thanks sunshine. very much. Have a good afternoon. <laughs> thanks Thank a lot. You. Bye, Anders. See you.